Thank you, Nita. Thank you, Jenny and the band and Catherine for leading us so far. So, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, we, yeah, it's great to be together. It's great to see the children learning a memory verse as well. Cast all your burdens unto him because he cares for you. And it fits very well with what we've been praying for. Um, this morning, we're just going to be looking at this, well, very familiar passage. And um, I've, I've kind of named the theme for today and for where we are, Can Anything Come Out of Nazareth? And it's a starting conversation where in the Gospel of John, um, they're introduced to the Lord Jesus. And Nathaniel comes and he talked to his um, friend Philip there, and he says, we've learned, you know, something has happened. Jesus is around, you know. And um, he, Philip, in response says, well, can anything come, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, we, we need to remember here that the context is that Nazareth is a very, very unpopular, very, yeah, it's, it's not, there's nothing good that has come out of Nazareth. So in that sense, uh, Philip's question is, is uh, very telling of what they thought of Nazareth. And um, I just wanted to bring that into the picture here if we wanted to understand, um, which, is, which is less uh, so in this culture, but in our culture there is, uh, here we've got the classes, higher class, middle class, lower class. Um, in Albania we've got the city and the village. That's, that's the division. So in one sense, Philip and Nathaniel saying, can anything come out of the village here? Well, just to, to, to fulfill that something good can come out of Nazareth, um, we see this in the life of Jesus, really. And that's what we are going to, to look at this morning. And <clears throat> that invitation of Philip is... Um, sorry, that invitation of Nathaniel to come and see... Is, is very crucial one because I think this is an opportunity for us as a church as we've been chairing the church meetings I've kind of um, mentioned it in a few moments that as God's people there is that that place where we invite people to come and see the gospel make sense in our lives in our community and go and share go and tell go and proclaim so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Jesus, as Jack read, is coming home. And uh, I don't know uh, with you, but the, the idea of going home, um, it's always fascinating. Um, especially when you go home to your place of birth or you, you, um, you're going home to, 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 to see relatives, family, um, and it's, it's those connections. And can you imagine Jesus uh, coming back to Nazareth? And 
he's basically going to his own, um, I think the, the new translation that we're using now, it says the, the boyhood, the place where he, when Jesus grew. And also, can you imagine Mary uh, welcoming Jesus to come back home? And there is this special moment in Jesus' ministry that we read in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus goes um, and he, he, as usual, verse um, 16, went to the synagogue on Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures, going to that place where he uh, was part of discussing the Torah and all those things with his fellow Jews. And he goes back, and in that gathering, um, he, he comes to read the scriptures. Now, if you wanted to know a little about what happened in a synagogue, it was very, very, um, what I would call a hymn sandwich, really, in that sense, service. So they, they would read a psalm, or psalms, they would sing psalms, and then they would read something from the Torah, from uh, Moses and the law, and then they'll be reminded by reading um, a prophetic um, passage that would remind them of the Messiah. And Jesus is coming here. There has been 400 years of no prophets where the synagogues have not, uh, gathered together in this way. The Psalms, the the Torah, the law of Moses, and, and then uh, one of the prophets. And you can imagine one of those scribes who's just gone through the, the whole motion of, of doing this thing uh, every Sabbath, every Sabbath. And they've invited Jesus now to read from the prophets. So it's towards the end of the service. And Jesus is saying... Let's open the scroll from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 2. And he says, this is what the prophet Isaiah says. It's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free. And the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus rolls up the scroll, hand it back to the person who is leading or um, doing something in the service, sits down, and the group of people that have been waiting for this scripture to be fulfilled for so many years 700 years, they've got their eyes fixated on one person in a little village of Nazareth in a small gathering of Jewish people. And then he began to speak to them. The scripture that you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So what Jesus is saying here is that the prophecies of the past, whatever 
the Torah and, and the, the law of Moses and the prophecies that has pointed to this day, they've been fulfilled. But also the promises, so not just the prophecies, but the promises of waiting for this Messiah have been fulfilled today. I am He. He is the Messiah. And in one sense, it's not that just this promises and this prophecies that have been fulfilled, but I am God's gift to you. This is what Jesus is declaring. And we need to bear in mind here that as much as the year of Jubilee, which actually is the year of Lord's favor, was part of the Jewish law. If you wanted to look into that, go to Leviticus chapter 25. It was very, very good law. You had uh, seven years of, well, seven of seven years, 49 years, and the year of Jubilee would be on, uh, on the 50th year where the land would go back to the owners. Well, all the debts would be written off, where everybody will be set free. Now, very interesting that we've got it in the scripture that the year of Jubilee was part of the law. But we're not sure if it was observed. We don't know. It's not written whether it was observed. And one of my thinking is that perhaps the reason why this was not observed was because for the wealthy that they were unwilling to accept the economic implications. It is okay if you're borrowing, but it is not okay if you're lending. So what Jesus is saying here is that the, the year of the Lord's favor has come. All the debts, everything has been wiped away. I am the promised Messiah. Because it would have been 700 years since the prophet Isaiah has said this prophecy. And if that was the case, it would have been 14 years of Jubilee until that point. And Jesus is saying, I am he. This is the day of the Lord's favor. So Jesus reads this prophecy. He, he says that this is fulfilled in him. Everybody is looking at Jesus. They're all amazed. And this, we're going to read it on, or as you are going to read it on later on if you want. The, the people come to that point that they want to kill Jesus. And he escapes the crowd. But 
what does this have to do with the 21st century church? What does this have to do with us? I want to suggest this morning that as body of Christ, we are the recipients of the same spirit and anointing of the Lord Jesus. And we have been given the same mandate as God's church to continue to point people to the fulfillment of this prophecy. That Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the one that releases the captives and we proclaim it. Jesus is the one that causes the blind people to see and we declare it. He is the one who has called us into that ministry of reconciliation. The oppressed will be set free and we've got a part to play in it. So what does it mean for us as a church? Well, that we participate in this. And as much as we see this, that there is an an implication here for physical and social status, I think there is an element here that the church needs to respond also to the spiritual things. The church being Christ's body, being filled with the Spirit, having the same anointing that was on the Lord Jesus Christ, to set, to release the captives, in Romans 6, 23, 22 and 23, if you want, you can open your Bibles. But now you are free from the power of sin that has be- have become slaves of God. Now you don't do things that lead, sorry. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Release the captives. Yes, there is a social, and yes, there is a physical element, and I think the church has got a say in that. But let not, let's not lose sight of the spiritual, because we still are surrounded. We're still ourselves are being challenged by a society that is full of greed, sexual immorality. And as church, I think we've become very, very quiet in challenging the social things that that actually distract us from what God is doing and declaring this this release of the captives. The captivity of alcohol, drugs, 
consumerism, pornography, gluttony. Here we are, the body of Christ, with the same anointing of God's Spirit to be doing this, to release the captives. What a great calling. What a tough calling. What an obnoxious calling. Who are we? Who do we think we are? The church being the body of Christ, filled with the Spirit and with God's anointing, is also to be seeing that the blind people will see. Yes, let's pray for miracles. Yes, let's, I do believe in miracles. Yes, there is a physical. Yes, there is a social. But also there is a spiritual blindness that is caused by the enemy of our souls. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The enemy, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And then the other action is to set the oppressed free. The ones who are powerless and abused by the heartless. And the heartless, the most heartless individual that exists out there is the devil. Second Timothy two four to six or sorry two twenty six says that the snare of the devil blinds. The snare of the devil oppresses. And yet, as a church, we are being Christ's body, filled with his spirit, anointed by God himself to see the captives released, to see the blind see, to see the oppressed set free. What an obnoxious calling. And yet, full of his spirit and his anointing. And Jesus is not holding back to say that he has done that. He knows that he's going to accomplish that by going to the cross, dying and being resurrected. And yet he knows that in God's economy, he's going to leave the church, his people, you and me in the 21st century, many others before our generation, who've been in this position to set, to release the captives, to have the blind people see, to see the oppressed free. But what are the battlefronts of the kingdom of God? in the UK 
in 2021, coming 2022. And how are we going to respond to God's anointing and God's filling in order for us to fulfill this great, great, to be part of this fulfillment of this great prophecy that was, is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus? Well, my heart breaks that we've got the next generation of children and young people who don't care about God. I think I've shared it with a few of you. Two weeks ago, I took an Uber and um, dropped me here at church. And the conversation started because he had a cross hanging in his taxi. And I, I just wanted to, to use that as a bridge to, to talk a little bit about Jesus. And uh, I said, oh, I like the cross. He said, oh, yeah, are you a Christian? Yeah. Are you a Christian? Yeah. And, and I said, how are you finding? Um, and he said, he said, every day I have people who come into the taxi and they always talk about the faith of their parents or their grandparents because, again, they see the cross. But they themselves... They don't care. This was, a, this was an observation from a taxi driver. And my heart breaks. But yet I am not discouraged and disappointed because this is the task of the church. This is our task. This is our responsibility. This is our joy. This is our privilege. Another battlefront, and we can sit here all day and we can talk about this. So I'm very, very interested. If you think of any other, other ideas of battlefronts, please do come and back to me. I, I have no problem. But these are the four things that I could think of as I was preparing. So it's a generation of children and young people in denial of God. And I am also an eyewitness of what to be part of a generation that doesn't have God as part of their equation. The second thing is, and this is a battlefront that I, I, I'm daily challenged, that there is so much confusion and disorientation of God's people. I personally think that we spend a lot of time processing and thinking and talking and talking and talking when actually we've been given a task of doing. We've been given a task of trusting that we've got the spirit of the living God anointing us and filling us to set the oppressed free. Another battlefront that we will be we're facing is the human migration and the rise of different religious movements. How are we going to declare the year of the Lord's favor? 
And the fourth thing that I've put here is what an atheist has written. Um, I, I read him somewhere, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll get the name when I come back to that book, but I didn't have time to. to um, so uh, there is an atheist who says that um, the religion in the UK is a religion that finds ultimate meaning in the self. And how do we declare the, the year of the Lord's favor? How do we proclaim that the captives will be released and the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free? In this generation, in order to find meaning in God and in Jesus as their king. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? Does anything good come out of the church? Come on, we've got the stigma now. We're the bad guys. And yet, as we look to God, as we rely on his spirit, as we expect his daily anointing, let's say, Lord, here we are. We want, we want to bring the good news to the poor. We want to proclaim the captives be released, the blinds to see the oppressed to be set free. This is our task. And praise God that we don't do this on our own strength. So let, as Gita led us uh, to, to, to pray about asylum seekers, I think we need to extend prayers for, for all layers of society in different ranks. We, we need to declare these things over our politicians, over our leaders, over our communities. And yet, in the same time, we as God's people need to be on that receiving end of experiencing this good news for ourselves. You're, you're, you are all very pensive this morning. Lots to pray about. Lots to depend on God about. So let's commit our hearts to God. Lord, we look to you. We won't be overwhelmed. Give us vision to see things the way that you see them. So Holy Spirit, with your anointing and filling, we pray that we will be able to proclaim, to bring the good news to the poor.
to release the captives, to see the blind people see, and to free the oppressed. Lord, we look to you. We're not overwhelmed. Help us to see things the way you see them. Lord, you've done this for 21 centuries. Nothing will change you now. Bring your kingdom. Heal, restore, and bring your freedom. For your name's sake. Amen.